Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Please pray with me. Father, through your spirit, open the words of scripture for us today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please sit. Please, don't get my hopes up. I can't bear to be let down again. It's an all too familiar sentiment for many of us. We find ourselves so wounded that we can't face the possibility of something good for fear that it's an empty promise. Oh, some instances may be of little consequence. We may fear getting our hopes up about Indiana Jones and the Dow of Destiny after the bitter disappointment of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I'm with you. But some are much deeper wounds that have formed scars that are tough and resistant. Perhaps it's the thought of embarking on a new relationship after years of heartbreak. Maybe it's hearing a doctor say, I know nothing else has worked, but there's a promising new treatment. Would you like to give it a try? Our hearts reach a point of weariness, afraid to climb the tower of hope only for it to crumble under our feet. When Mary Magdalene and the other women first tell the apostles of Jesus' resurrection, St. Luke tells us, these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. And when in today's passage from John, Jesus appears to the apostles for the first time after his resurrection, he enters the room they have locked out of fear. Thomas is absent on that occasion, so he still doesn't believe. Indeed, he doesn't say he cannot believe, Thomas says he will not believe. Thomas says he will not believe unless he touches Christ's wounds. He digs his heels in. He knew who he believed in and saw him crucified on a cross. Nails through his hands and feet and a spear driven into his side. All of Thomas's hopes and dreams, the culmination of a three-year journey, were dashed to ruin in a matter of six hours. He refuses to be crushed yet again. He won't believe. In the aftermath of a devastating loss, it can be difficult to find hope and comfort. We are reminded of this as we gather this morning, just days after A violent tragedy left our community drowning in grief and sorrow. So often during our tragedies, 
during our struggles and pain, we convince ourselves that God has abandoned us. How easily our faith is shaken. We don't see him, so we think he isn't there. How could he be here if things are this, things are this dark and chaotic? If he is here, does he even care? But in today's reading, Jesus steps into the pain of his reeling followers. Most of his apostles first and later Thomas with a greeting and a gift that breaks through the locked doors of our fear. Peace be with you. Twice in his resurrected appearances, Jesus gives them what nothing in the world can. Peace. On the one hand, it's a common greeting among Jews. The famous shalom. On the other, it's a profound expression of peace with God and with one another. It's a gift we rehearse every Sunday in our liturgy. However, its inclusion here immediately calls to mind Jesus' promise a few chapters later, earlier. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not let them be afraid. Because of Jesus, the troubles and fears of this life are put in their place. Jesus gives more than just momentary peace. More than the solace anything on earth can provide. This is an abiding peace. For Thomas and the apostles, the anxiety and hopelessness of the last few days falls swiftly away. An interesting matter here, though, is how Jesus appears. When Jesus shows up in his resurrected body, why did he still have a trace of his wounds? For sure, he could have been resurrected without blemish. The apostles, Thomas included, knew that Jesus was crucified. They were with him the night he was betrayed. Some of them saw him hanging on the cross. They knew the wounds on his body, the nails through his hands, and the spear hole in, the, in his side. The wounds are a powerful reminder that Jesus suffered greatly and died. And in these wounds, they can see themselves just as we can see ourselves. We did this. We crucified him. But what they also show is that he is alive. This is the very Jesus they saw crucified. What we have here is not some ghost, some disembodied spirit, perhaps bearing the spectral resemblance of wounds. Ghosts were not a foreign concept in first century Palestine or the Roman Empire. They were just as much a part of cultural lore as in our Western world today. You can uh, start, imagine your uh, ancient Near East version of Ghostbusters here. The apostles, 
even think Jesus is a ghost when he is seen walking on the Sea of Galilee. In Luke's account of Jesus' first resurrection appearance to the apostles, since they believe him to be a ghost, he even asks them for food and eats a piece of cooked fish to show his materiality. This body and these wounds are real. This Jesus is flesh and bone and blood. Here is the glory, for it means these wounds, which marked his death, now mark the very defeat of death. The sin that destines us to death, and Satan who lures us into sin. The curse that marked us in Genesis, the one we symbolized on Ash Wednesday, is now being worked backwards for those who are in Christ Jesus. The, this scene's most famous artistic depiction is Caravaggio's The Incredulity of St. Thomas. It's a, it's a powerful image because in it, Jesus not only invites Thomas to touch him, but he guides Thomas's finger into the wound in his side. It's a little bit gross. Uh, however, in Scripture, Thomas never makes it to Christ's wounds. He doesn't need to. At the invitation of Jesus for Thomas to touch him, Thomas does the only thing he can do to the one who has conquered the grave. He falls to his knees and makes the first straightforward confession of Christ's divinity in all scripture. My Lord and my God. Other disciples, Peter first, have confessed Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of God. Now Thomas confesses that which the whole Gospel of John has pointed to. Jesus Christ is God himself. Jesus has stepped into his moment, his reality, and his pain. Thomas must realize in that moment that Jesus has heard his anxiety and doubt even before showing himself. Jesus has been with him all along. At that moment, as Jesus stands before him, the thing that has seemed to be the surest defeat becomes the surest victory. The crucifixion of Christ becomes the vehicle of life. For Thomas and for us, the thing which was the loss of all hope becomes the way of hope. Jesus tells Thomas after the great confession, Have you believed me because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. The first sentence is for Thomas, but the last is for us. St. John closes out this story with an aside that could just as well close out the entire book, if not for chapter 21's almost cinematic epilogue. There is a close relationship between the beginning of the book, John 1, 1 through 18, and chapter 20. The first chapter establishes that Jesus is the Word, God himself, 
who has come to dwell among us. Chapter 20 shows the first confession of that, through, of that truth through Thomas. And John tells us that he is recording these things so that we might believe. Jesus says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And that same faith that was given to Thomas and the apostles, that of God made flesh in Jesus, is the very faith we still confess to this day, 2,000 years later. Blessed indeed. In a few moments, we will see Carice Weedman baptized into the household of God based on the profession of the Christian faith by her parents and their commitment and ours to raise her in that same faith. And with them, we will be asked to recite that faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. And in these actions... Though we do not see Jesus standing before us and showing us his wounds as he did for Thomas, he presents himself to us. In the liturgy and sacraments, we are not only recalling what happened long ago, but we step into how it is still true today, still unfolding today, and still bringing life today. Jesus is alive. In the sacrament of communion, we receive Christ's body and blood he gave in his death for the forgiveness of our sins. In the sacrament of baptism, we are raised to walk in Christ's resurrection life, which is now ours, sharing in his victory over death. In these signs, we receive his grace and his promise we receive a hope that overcomes all fear. I'll close with the words of the gospel hymn written by Bill Gaither that I heard hundreds of times growing up, Southern Baptist, a, uh, a friend who lost someone uh, in this Monday's tragedy posted the lyrics online, and they capture so well what hope in the resurrected Christ means to us. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.